You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you are a first-time guest or you've only been visiting a few times, we are delighted to have you with us this morning. We know you could have chosen to be anywhere, and the fact that you are here with us uh, on a day where many of you probably have a Halloween hangover, um, we are uh, thrilled that you would be here, and our hope is that um, you will go from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as possible, um, that you will get connected, and, and the greatest way you can do that is probably by grabbing one of these connect cards over here filling out some information about yourself and hand that to me. I'll be sure and connect with you on your terms. Or um, you can uh, go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com. You can learn more about us um, there. Or uh, you can just come and connect with me in the foyer, and, and we can set up a lunch. We can do whatever we need to do to try to meet with you on your terms. We try to make it as easy as we can to make you feel included in a part of this family. So again, welcome. Glad you are here. Uh, we are continuing in our series through the book of James, a series that we have entitled Christianity on the ground level. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to go with me to James chapter 2 this morning. James chapter 2. If you have an ESV Bible, it uh, might possibly be on uh, page 1011. James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we can gift you with a free Bible on the welcome table uh, on your way out. Just grab that. That's our, our gift to you. And uh, if you want, we'll put the, uh, the words on the screen so you can follow along that way as well. So James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll read down to actually verse um, 13. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, um, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you are doing well, but... If you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted of the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have now to come and to sit under your word. I pray that you, through the power of your spirit, will take this and that you'll make it alive in our hearts. I pray that we will all come in the, in the busyness of life with all the distractions that go on around us in this crazy, busy world. I pray that you will help us through your spirit to focus on what it is that you have for each of us today and that you will use this to transform us from the inside out. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, um, does anyone in here remember the day before cell phones? Let me see a show of hands. If, okay, a lot of you, if you're, um, much simpler days, wasn't it? If you, 
if you're 25 and younger, this might seem like a shocker to you, but there actually used to be a day where if you wanted to hang out with your friends, you would go outside and you would hang out with them and you would do stuff other than just text right, one another. And so um, I know it seems like a lot years ago, but even whenever I was a teenager, I grew up without um, a cell phone. And so one of the things I would do to pass the time is I would just go outside and I had a lot of my friends living in my neighborhood and we would just all go and, and hang out together in the neighborhood and we would play sports. Pretty much any kind of sport that you could play, we played it. And so if it was wiffle ball, baseball, uh, football, basketball, and we even, you know, kickball. We would even play um, street hockey. I know that may seem like a, a weird thing. My dad pastored a church, and so we would use that parking lot. We, would, we went and bought goals from Champion Sports in the Indian Mall, right? Anybody remember Indian Mall? And so, um, and uh, um, anyways, like, so we went, we bought these, and we'd play hockey, and all, we did all sorts of things. It was, it was a lot of fun, and, and here's the way it would work is typically because we're guys, we wanted to make it a competition, and so we would pick two team captains, right, elect two captains, uh, usually the best athletes in that sport. You'd put one of the best, uh, the better athletes on, on, on this team and one on the other, and then they would begin to pick their teams. And if it was something like hockey or wiffle ball, um, possibly even football, I would be picked, um, and of course it was touch football, not tackle, so this would make sense. I was picked towards uh, the middle or top. In those sports, but in basketball, as many of you have heard me talk about before, um, I'm not very good at basketball, and so I was usually picked towards the bottom. In fact, like if there was a guy playing with two broken legs, I was picked right in front of him. Okay, and so like I was that bad, and that didn't bother me because I understood the point. Right, the point was for the team captains to pick the best athlete possible that was available to put on their team to give their team the best chance of winning. And that makes perfect sense to us in the world of sports. But what James wants us to see today is that is not the way God works when it comes to choosing his team. Um, in fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to look there. Actually, we can put it on the screen, I believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For consider your calling, brothers or sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of a noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast, he says, in the presence of God. So what we need to understand today is God is not like us in the fact that God doesn't naturally gravitate towards people with great popularity and prestige, but instead he naturally gravitates towards the poor and the powerless. What we see is that God, unlike us, doesn't naturally gravitate towards those who the culture would say are the winners, but he gravitates towards the weak. And what James wants us to see this morning is that if you are a Christian, the same should be true for you. That's why if you look again in, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, he just says, right, it is time for you, church, to stop showing partiality to the rich. It's time for you to stop showing favoritism, right, to those who don't have a lot, right? It's time for you to stop, right, showing favoritism, I'm sorry, to those who have a lot, while withholding affection and hospitality and friendship and mercy and kindness and service from those who maybe don't appear to have it all together. And you see, this is a word that all of us need to hear today. Because I think all of us in here, if we can just be honest this morning, we tend to show partiality towards others. And maybe it's not economic status, 
But, but maybe for some of you, you, you're partial to those who have the same color, skin as you do. Or, or you show partiality to those who have the same personality or the same political preference or in the same stage of life. Maybe towards those who, who have a celebrity status or are more educated than this certain person over here. I think all of us, again, if we can just be honest, all of us tend to show favoritism towards those who are either like us or can do something for us. I think all of us are much more likely to save the contact or to befriend the person on Facebook or set by the one right who has something they can give us, whether that be money or status or some sort of a position or maybe even a more comfortable lifestyle. And what James is saying right here in this passage is this is incredibly offensive to God. This is a huge, huge deal to God. And why is it such a big deal to him? He goes on to tell us, if you look with me in verse 4. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Again, he's talking to people who, who are Christian people. He says, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Right, James, he starts with this whole passage by saying in verse 1, right, show no partiality. Right? Do not be biased towards people who seem to have it all together or can give you something. And then he says right here in verses 4 or 5, and this is why this isn't so important. This is why you should stop showing favoritism. This is why you should stop discriminating. Because listen, look right at me, guys. Because what he's saying is when you do, verse 5, you step outside of the gospel. You're walking out of step with the gospel. You are living a life, he says in verse 5, that is contrary to the fact that God, by His grace, has chosen the poor, which includes all of us. He has chosen those who are poor before Him, and He has made them rich in faith and heirs, he says in verse 5, of the kingdom of God. James is looking at us and he's saying, man, you might claim to be a Christian, but if you look down on the man or the woman that is wearing he says in, in verse 2, uh, shabby clothes or filthy clothes. He says, you've actually forgotten what it means to be a Christian. He says, you've forgotten, as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, that even your righteousness is as a filthy rag before God. Even on your best days, our righteousness is like shabby clothes before God, right? Like whenever God found us, we had nothing that we could possibly give Him. And yet, rather than Him shunning us, what has He done? Rather than him walking past us, he has come right into the middle of our mess. Right? Jesus Christ lived this perfect life that none of us could ever live. And he died a death on the cross for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. Right? He has clothed us in his very righteousness, the Bible says. We have forgotten, James says, that, that Jesus had everything. And yet he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. He says, this is why you've forgotten this, and this is why you were showing partiality. This is why you ignore people who can do nothing for you, or why you look down on them. He says, don't you see how big of a deal this is, church? He says, because when you do this, when you show favoritism to those who have high class, or they have a prestigious position, or, or some sort of status that you want to be a part of. When you, when you show favoritism to people like this, you are literally stepping outside of the grace of God in your hearts. You are forgetting the gospel. You're forgetting that you were poor before God. You were lost and without hope. You had nothing. 
And yet, God loved you. And He loved you so much that He literally gave up everything that He had to have a relationship with you. Isn't that amazing to think about this morning? This is why James is saying partiality is such a huge deal to God. Uh, do you remember in, in, in Jesus' first sermon he ever preached in Matthew chapter 5, he could have opened his sermon any way he wanted. And how does he open it up? Actually, that's the wrong text. That's not how he opened it up. I gave you the wrong text. It's my fault. Maybe it's 5-3. But this is the way he opened it up. Don't worry about putting it on the screen. He opened it up by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting how the people that we look at in society and say, ooh, those people are pulling down society. Jesus says, those are the exact ones I want to build my kingdom with. Those are the people that I want on my team. Because we have to get this today. The Bible is clear from beginning to end. There is one way to become a Christian. And you know what it is? It's not by being, you don't have to be popular, you don't have to be prestigious, you don't have to be perfect, but listen, you do have to be poor. And I'm not talking about a physical poverty, I'm talking about a spiritual poverty. There must come a place, or you must come to a place in your life where you realize that you have nothing to offer God. Salvation cannot occur until you realize that even on your best days that you still deserve hell. Salvation cannot occur until all of us come to a place where we stand completely, 100% dependent on Jesus Christ. And what I just want to ask you this morning, as though I stand in front of a crowd, as always, I'm in front of a crowd of individuals, and what I just want to ask you is, has this happened for you? Has this happened to you? Have you really come to a place of desperation? Have you come to a place where you're at the end of your rope, where you say, man, I need God, like I am in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And have you, out of a result, have you cried out to Him and experienced His grace and His mercy? And if you have what James is getting at, if this has happened to you, if you have experienced His grace, listen, the result is this. Look right at me. Rather than loving people because of what they can do for you, you will love people because of what Christ has already done for you. This is what he, he, he's saying. But he's saying the problem is, church, this is not happening in your midst. That's why if you look in verse 6, again, he just says, you have dishonored the poor man. Right? The rich, the wealthy come in. You see the person walk in, and they're like, ooh, that person could really benefit our church. Lots of popularity there, lots of money there. And if he says, he says, what you've done is you said, hey, you come on up. We're going to butter up to you. We'll take you out to eat after it's over. Like, come on into our missional community, whatever else. But he says, the poor man, you're just kind of like, eh. Hello from afar. Right? He says, this is a, a problem. And then he looks and he goes on in verse 6. He says, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James says, I want you to think about how crazy this is. He says, some of you people, you want so bad to impress those that the world values that you will do whatever it takes to impress these people who in the end really don't even care about you. In fact, in this case, he's saying you will do whatever it takes to appease people who are only going to actually oppress you. Because I want you to think about this. He said, he said, you're actually building your life around trying to impress people 
Whenever you've already received the glory of God, you've already received his full acceptance, the acceptance of the only one that really matters, you are going to spend your life trying to impress people who actually, he says here, blaspheme the name of the God who has given you his best even when you are at your worst. He says, don't you see how, how messed up this is? And then he goes on in, in verse 8, and he shows us just how serious the sin of partiality is. He says in verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which isn't interesting how Jesus and Jesus' younger brother James here sums up the law with love. Isn't it interesting how whenever you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But look at this, verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Let me try to explain to you what James is getting at here. When I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, I, um, I had to appear before a judge. There's only been one time in my entire life I had to appear before a judge, and it was when I was living in Louisville. And what had happened is I was speeding through a school zone, didn't know that School was letting out, and so I got pulled over, and I got a ticket for going 40 in what was at that time now a 25 zone. And whenever the police officer gave me a ticket, he also said, make sure you make your court date as well. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, court date? Like, I thought this was just a speeding ticket here. Like, what's going on? And he said, well, yeah, in the state of Kentucky, if you get pulled over for speeding in a school zone, you have to appear before a judge. Okay? So I freak out. Like, all right, I grew up in a pasture zone, very sheltered. I'm like, no, 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 I can't go up here before a judge. So what I begin to do is I begin to lay out for him my resume. I begin to say, sir, I basically have given up everything to move to Louisville. I don't know anybody here. I'm in the seminary. I'm trying to get my master's degree in the Bible. I want to be a pastor, man. I want to help a lot of people. Matter of fact, I was on my way to Muhammad Ali Boulevard to try to help, you know, and minister to the poor. And so I'm listening to all these good things that I've done and hopes that he's going to say, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, let me just tear up that, that ticket. That's awesome. Yeah, your good clearly outweighs the bad. That's not at all what he does, right? He cuts me off and said, sir, those are all great things, but you were speeding, you've got a ticket, you've got to go up here before the judge. Now, here's the deal. The same is true in our relationship with God. You've got to stop buying into this lie that says, you know what? As long as I'm obedient in one area, I bet that lets me off the hook for being disobedient in this area. That's what James is getting at here. This idea that, that as long as I do a bunch of good here, I'm okay for doing this bad over here, that's not in the Bible. James crushes this idea in verses 8 through 12. He says, look, if you have broken one law, even if you're good everywhere else, you're still guilty of breaking the law before God. He says, even if you've not committed adultery, if you've committed murder, what does that make you? It still makes you a murderer. And that, that's what he's pointing us to. And listen, guys, this is why this is so important, because what James is saying is you can show up to a church service like this, and you can sing a few songs, maybe even raise your hand, right? Or if you don't want to go all the way up, like do like the, you know, like the TV carry thing, you know, or pat your chest, whatever. Like you can follow along in the sermon, pay very careful attention to the preaching. You can throw some money in the basket. You can read your Bible daily. You can serve in the nursery. You can do all of this. But he says, if you are showing partiality, listen to what he says, that doesn't make you partly obedient, it makes you totally hypocritical. 
That's what he's getting at. He, he's saying if you choose to obey the Lord in some ways and you disobey him in other ways, you're really not being obedient at all. In fact, probably the only reason you're even being obedient in some areas is because you want to cover up for the areas you have no intentions of being obedient in. Does that make sense? This is what James is hitting at. I want you to think about how silly this is. Um, I shared with each of you last week how I was a terrible student in high school, and I'm going to further illustrate that for you this morning. Um, at the end of the semester, we would have final exams, and I would go up to my teacher, and this is what I would say to my teacher. Hey, what's the lowest grade I can make on this test and still pass the class? That's the question. Some of you are shaking your head like, oh, yeah, yep, that's me too. And so... Um, and she would tell me, and then I would study the least that I possibly had to study to pass the class, okay? And the teacher's over here going, oh, don't you condemn me, right? Okay? And so, uh, and so um, yeah, and so I'm not a model student in high school. Kids, don't take that, right, and, and run with it. And so that's what I would do. And, and I, would, I would study the, the least amount that I had to study in order to pass the class. Now, listen, that idea, principle, works in the school but it doesn't work in our relationship with God. Because our relationship with God, think about it like this, is not a teacher-student type relationship. It's more of a husband-wife type relationship. Okay? And so here's what that means. If I take the same principle that I used in school and I apply that to my marriage with my wife, how's that going to go for me? If we go home and I say, Megan, I love you so much, you're so beautiful, just out of curiosity, What's the least I can do in our marriage and you not divorce me? <laughs> right? Or what's the most actually I can get away with and you not leave me? How's that going to go? She's going to call, yeah. She's going to call Rusty and say, we need counseling immediately. Right? So why in the world do we think it's okay to do this in our relationship with God? Are there not some of you this morning, can we just be honest, guys? Can we just, just call it what it is? Are there not some of you who are in your heart saying, God, what's the most I can sin and still get to heaven? What's the least that I can do? What's the least that I can give and not go to hell? Listen, if you're asking that question, can I ask you another one? Where do you get your assurance that you're a Christian? Because you're not going to find it in the Bible. James is clear in here. God hates the sin of partiality. He hates it as much as he hates murder and adultery. He hates to see us warming up to the powerful while cold-shouldering the poor. And again, maybe for you it's not the poor. Maybe you're like, I am poor, bro. Like, Trust me, I love the poor. That's my world. Right? Or, or maybe like you're wealthy and you do love the poor well. Maybe for you it's, it's not the poor again. Maybe it's, it's, it's someone of a different color that you, that you discriminate against or someone with a different beliefs in you that you discriminate against or someone who, I don't know, that in some ways makes life harder or messier for you. I don't know. But what we have to see is the point is the same. There are people around you, all around you, who can do nothing for you whatsoever. And what James is saying is these are people that you are to love in the same way that Christ has loved you. And to neglect this, look, we're going to come in for a landing, verse 13. He says to neglect this, I want you to see how serious it is. If you just say, eh, okay, I'm going to put that aside. 
Look at this, verse 13. Like, James is so relentless. Like, he's not going to let up on us at all this morning. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Here's what James just said, in case you didn't catch it. What he says is if you keep walking past the poor and the outcast, you keep just hanging out with people who can do something for you, that are in the same class as you, the same world as you, that can increase your status or your finances or your position. He says, you need to know today that is not a heart of mercy. In fact, that's not even a Christian heart. That's why he says in verse 13, if you continue on this path, refusing to really go in, all in on loving people who can do nothing for you, if you, if you continue to, to withhold mercy from others, what does he say in verse 13? You will find no mercy from God on the day of judgment. That's what he says, right? I mean, look at it yourself. In, in the word, he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Now, can we all agree this morning? That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Some of you are like, you have no idea how hard my week is. I came, I just wanted to be encouraged. Just one week out of the day, you know, before I go back to all the crazy kids and the bills and all of that, and this is what I get. Thank you, Pastor. What I hope you see is this, guys. Preaching texts like this is one of the most loving things that I can do as a pastor. In my flesh, do you know what I want to do every single week? And, and Luke and Rusty know this as I talk to him about it. I want to impress you. I want you to leave excited. I want you to leave happy. I want you to say, I want to go back to that place again next Sunday because it felt so good. But the most loving thing I can do for you, and this is why we do this, is preach through books of the Bible because you know what happens whenever preachers preach through books of the Bible? It forces us to preach texts I would never preach otherwise. All right? When I preached two weeks ago in Memphis, Tennessee, I didn't preach this. They said, bring your, your best sermon. I brought like the happiest, most joyful, you know, like, woo, sermon that I could possibly bring, right? We have to be sure that we preach the entire word of God because, listen, guys, we need to know where our hearts really are in light of where God really is. Uh, think about it like this. I've told you before many times, as I did earlier in the message, I'm not a good basketball player, but it is so funny how there have been times that I have played basketball at Labor Park and depending on whom I'm playing around, there are kids that will say, man, you're so good at basketball. You're awesome. Right? Some of them even call me the great white shack. All right? <laughs> True story. And what I don't have the heart to tell some of these kids is it's not that I'm so good. It's that you're so bad. <laughs> like, and you think you're good because you only play with people that are bad. And you're comparing yourself to other really bad people. So when someone comes and plays, it's just... A little bit less bad, you think I'm awesome. I'm not so sure that's not what we're doing in the church, guys. In the fact that I think there are some of us who are comparing ourselves to other people who call themselves Christians. Who are comparing themselves to other people who call themselves Christians. Who in the end aren't even really Christians. And we say, well, I think I'm legit because I'm better than that person. You see what I'm saying? This is a, a, a fear of mine, and, and that's why we have started this series, Christianity on the Ground Level. Because our whole hope is, look right at me, we're about done. My whole hope in, in this series, and the pastor's hope as well, is that we will be a church that stops comparing ourselves to the world and starts comparing ourselves to the Word. 
and we just get honest. And we say, does my life match up, not with what the pastors say Christianity looks like, not with what my mama says Christianity looks like, or my best friend, does my life match up with what Jesus Christ says my life should look like as a Christian? And maybe for some of you this morning, you'll have to say, no, it doesn't. And man, I hope that you will own that today. Guys, listen. Projecting godliness is not as important as being godly. Like saying, I'm following Jesus, is not as important as actually following Jesus. And what this text is here to do is to help us to see that there are some of you this morning who just might be caught up in a wave of something that resembles Christianity, but in the end, you're, not, you're going to discover it's not it at all. It's here to lovingly give us a gut check. And I just wonder, like, maybe some of you, it's done that this morning. Maybe this has felt very, very heavy. Maybe you've even felt some conviction. And we say this every week, guys. Listen, conviction is a very sweet thing. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is so sweet because it's the Holy Spirit's very gentle and loving way of saying, guys, you're off. You're off. You're settling for counterfeit joys. You're chasing after something that I've told you not to chase after. And it's his way of lovingly calling us into life, experiencing the joy and the peace that is found ultimately in him. I pray that today, if this has been convicting, that you will own it and that you'll take it to Jesus. And then here's the great hope. If you look in verse 13 at the very end, and then we're done. When you take it to him, here's what you can take to the bank. That it says in verse 13 that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't it great news to know this morning that no matter who you are or what you've done, that God does not want to condemn you? He is not just sitting up in heaven and being like, ooh, I hope I can catch them in this so I can stomp them out, right? That is not what he is doing. It, it, what God wants from you is for you to own your sin and to take it to him, and he wants you to experience a joyful release from your self-righteousness. A joyful release from your rat race, guys, of trying to find joy and satisfaction in things that are only terminating on you. He wants you to find a release from your comfort and your control and your power that is keeping you from loving others well. And this happens by looking at the gospel, by looking at the Lord of glory, as we see in verse 1, who shed his glory for you and for me, who left everything for us, who faced total rejection, who took on your filthy rags and my filthy rags, your sin and my sin, and then said, man, if you will trust in me, if you will trust in my life, my death and resurrection, I will clothe you in my righteousness, and you can trust then that you are perfectly and fully accepted by the one who really matters, by your creator. And whenever you experience this, he says, you can then experience the freedom that comes from knowing that you are perfectly accepted, loved, and forgiven. Can you imagine a community where we really all truly believe the gospel? Can you imagine what this church would look like, what our missional communities would look like, what our fight clubs would look like? What? Just imagine, I mean, we would be a church that wouldn't just look at the needs of people and go, oh, I'll pray for you. We'd be a people who actually meet the needs with joy in our hearts. We would be a people who would look at the unlovable and say, we're going to love them. 
We're going to care for them well, and not in an attempt to earn God's mercy, but out of an overflow of a heart who has received and continues to celebrate that mercy that he has poured out for us, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to ask that you'll stand with me this morning. As the band comes forward and those who are preparing communion, we're going to pray, we're going to sing another song in our response to the word that has been preached. So I want to encourage you this time, let's just close our eyes and let's take some time to meditate on this word. As James will continue to say each and every single week in our series, let's not just be hearers of the word, let's be doers. And so let's ask the Spirit right now to reveal in our own hearts, what do you want me to do with this word, with this reality this morning? Father, I thank you so much for each and every single person that is here. I pray that through your word, that you will help us to believe that you are who you say you are and you've done everything that you said you've done for us. I pray for the person here right now who is still sitting in guilt and shame and despair because of past sin or the person who feels like, you know what, actually I'm a pretty good dad or I'm a pretty good husband. God would never send me to hell. The person who is not fully dependent on Jesus Christ, I do pray that you will do for them what you did for me when I was 20 years old, that you will see that without you they are completely lost and without hope. Would you please set our eyes on you and believe that even when we were at our worst, that you gave us your very best. Would you please use that to transform our lives for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.